Well, good morning, church. Man, last week we had Bob Russell with us, adequate preacher. He did all right. (laughs) Um, So good to have that guy. But in that message, he told a story about his son, Rusty, uh, who pastors a church down in Florida. And Rusty's involvement with the local high school football team. And recently, in case you missed it, recently they had one of their coaches on that team pass away. And Rusty had asked his dad to pray for them because uh, they sensed God moving amongst the athletes on that team. And they knew some of those kids were questioning their eternity. They were interested in pursuing Jesus. And so they were going to be meeting with them. And in the last week, over 20 high school students on that football team have surrendered to Jesus and been baptized into Christ. So, yeah. It is awesome, awesome to see God at work here, there, and everywhere. Awesome to see what God is up to. And, you know, over the last month, I've been able to visit some other churches and been able to do some study and get away. But I tell you, I just love being here because I love seeing God at work right here. We've got some baptisms planned for after this service today right here. And it's just great to be at a place where God is on the move. People are surrendering to him, finding new life in him, finding hope. Church... We are at a good place. I love this church. Know you? Yeah. Well, today we are going to be in chapter 30, starting chapter 30 of Quest 52. It's our year-long pursuit of Jesus. And each week in this study, there's a driving question, a question to kind of get our minds rolling and, and questions that I think are very pertinent and relevant because they're the questions that we bring to the table anyway. And today's question is this. Why does Jesus care so much about my money? Now, with a question like that, many of you are probably thinking, I wish Fitz were gone just one more week (laughs) because we're going to be talking about money. But here's why it matters. Because Jesus does talk a lot about money. The Bible talks about money. Some people think that all preachers want to talk about is money. Listen, it's not necessarily what we want to talk about, but we're willing to talk about it. But why? Why does our money matter? Well, today we're going to dig into that. We're going to explore why Jesus cares about our money. But before we get into that, let me just ask this. Are you a stuffy person? A stuffer? I am. I have stuff. And to be honest, I probably have too much stuff. If you ask my wife, I definitely have too much stuff. Because she is not a stuffer. She is a tosser. She's the one who would toss most of my stuff if given the opportunity. Now, I say I use most of my stuff or I have plans to use most of my stuff, but the reality is I probably could get rid of some of my stuff. But I don't feel as bad about my stuff when I look at the averages. Now, the average person in the U.S., according to research, says that the average person throws away 65 pounds of clothing every year. 65 pounds of clothing every year. You know what that is? That's the tossers like my wife, Jen, who live with the stuffers like me saying, hey, you know that shirt from high school? It's time you finally get rid of that three decades later, right? Any tossers in the room? All right. Any stuffers in the room? Some of you. How many liars we got? Because some of y'all didn't register. Listen, here's the deal. If your hand did not go up, 
That means you're a stuffer because that little indecisive, well, I don't know if I'm a tosser or a stuffer. That means you're a stuffer because you're like, well, I don't know if I should get rid of this thing or keep it. Like you are the stuffers. You're with me. You're my peeps. And I feel better about myself. Now, here are the crazy stats about Americans and our stuffiness. I think we got a graph for this. We have 5% of the global population. That means if this represents every person in the world, here's the U.S. and here's everybody else in the world. That's how big our population is. However, if you look at the number of self-storage facilities we have, the places where we stuff all of our stuff, this is the United States and this is everybody else. What does that say about us? We've got a lot of stuff. And we have so much stuff, we have to build other places to stuff our stuff because our stuff doesn't even fit in our house. And they say that one out of 10 Americans rents off-site storage. That means that a number of you rent off-site. You know who you are, you stuffers, but we're in good company. There are so many self-storage facilities in the U.S. There's a 1,000 per state on average, there are several hundred in each one of those facilities. There are 250, or sorry, there's 25 million storage units in the United States. 25 million storage units in the U.S. That means there's enough square footage in all these self-storage places for every person in the United States, every man, woman, and child to stand comfortably, not even touching shoulder to shoulder all under the roofing of self-storage. That's crazy. We got a lot of stuff. And here's the last stat I'm going to give you, just because it's fun. On average, every year, the people who own those places that we rent to stuff all of our stuff, that's a $40 billion per year industry. Friends, that's a lot of zeros attached to the stuff that just sits in storage. So who cares? (laughs) Well, this is why it matters. Because Jesus says you can tell a lot about a person by the stuff they have and the stuff they do with their stuff. Because we would call that stuff treasure. And let's jump into Matthew chapter 6 and see what Jesus says about our treasure. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Where thieves break in and steal No, store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, your heart follows. We see in these verses the first of several choices Jesus gives us in the passages we're going to look at today. And this first choice is you either store your stuff here on earth or you store it in heaven. Storage facility on earth or storage in heaven. Because where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And that means where your treasure is not, then your heart won't be. If you haven't put your treasure there, your heart won't follow that. And it's interesting that Jesus says our treasure leads the way, not our hearts. A lot of people say, well, if my heart's there, then that's what I treasure. No, the treasure goes first. What we invest in, where we put our priority is where our heart follows. Our priorities is what Jesus is talking about. He says our interest follows our investments. We might say we value certain things, 
But what we really value is demonstrated by wherever we give the most time, what we give the most energy, what we give the most attention, what we give the most money to, what we give to our schedule, what we give in all those areas. And so the things that are most important to us are shown by where we spend our schedule and spend our money, spend our time, our worry. So if you were to assess your spending, where you spend time, your money, your energy, your thoughts, your worry, you'll find your heart. Jesus says it's a bad investment strategy to store your treasure in a place where treasures won't last. These days, we try to guard our treasures. We don't just store them in off-site facilities. We store some of it in lock boxes and safes and safe deposit accounts. We try to insure it and protect our treasures. But Jesus says that's still an iffy investment. This word that is translated in this passage, rust, we might better translate from the original Greek, consume. That's really what that word means, is to be consumed. Jesus is saying, don't put your treasure where it can be consumed by mice or bugs or rodents, where it can be consumed by rust and rot and decay, where it can be consumed by a thief, by somebody else taking what once was yours. So that's just a bad investment strategy. A few weeks ago, a man here in Kentucky was in his cornfield digging, and he discovered a box filled with gold coins. These gold coins date back to the time of the Civil War. He had them assessed, and they are worth collectively more than $2 million. Yeah, that was pretty nice, right? Isn't that like every kid's dream? Like, where's the hidden treasure? How many Goonies fans are I? Like, that has never left me. Like, every time I see a cave, I'm like, I wonder if they left some money in there. <laughs> like, where's the ship with the gold coins? And so this guy is out digging in his field. Now, I come from Illinois. I, I'm an Illinois boy born and raised. And in Illinois, you got one of the largest corn-producing places in the world. And so farmers talk about the golden harvest and the golden ears of corn. So this guy's out in his cornfield and He doesn't end up with golden ears of corn. He ends up with gold coinage, not gold cornage. And that seems to be a much better payout that day. But we don't know a whole lot about his story. We don't know who he is. We don't know where his field is. Probably because the guy doesn't want people like me coming onto his land trying to dig up other coins. (laughs) The guy is keeping that a secret. But here's what we do know. That the guy who buried the treasure is not the dude who dug it up. That there was a guy back in the 1800s, mid-1800s, who buried some gold coins. And in 19... Man, it's been a day since I talked about the 19s. Showing my age. In 2023, somebody else dug up those gold coins. Now, that guy who buried him probably thought he was just going to leave him there for a little while. I'm not sure what his plan was, but I doubt his plan was to leave it there indefinitely. And the guy who dug it up, now, that's a pretty good day. I, I wouldn't mind finding some gold coins in my yard, but I'll be honest, I'd be happy right now if the mole would quit looking for treasure in my yard. <laughs> so the guy who buried it isn't the guy who found it. And the guy who buried it only for a little while was able to keep the inevitable from happening. Only for a limited amount of time was he able to keep somebody else from collecting and owning what once was his. Eventually, that's the way it all plays out. So often the things we think are so valuable in life, we realize too late in life that they really don't hold the greatest value after all. 
That man is in a place, no matter whether he's in heaven or hell, those are the only two choices. But either one, that gold doesn't matter much to him there now. You know, the things that we value so much, the things that we think are worthy, the things that we treasure, we discover eventually they're not really that worthy of being treasured. You know, the things that we put so much value on, things we make jewelry out of, the things we trade as expensive, worthy gold coins, that's the stuff God uses for the pavement of the streets in heaven. That's the asphalt under the feet of those who walk in glory. The things that we call treasure, that's pavement for the streets there. So friends, we can cling to temporary wealth or we can use whatever treasures we have to advance God's kingdom. That's what it means to build the kingdom. That's what it means to store up your treasures in heaven. It means to use whatever resources you have, to use whatever means you have to help other people find Jesus and follow him faithfully forever. To help build God's kingdom, to help advance the kingdom, to help get the gospel into the hands and the ears of people who have yet to encounter it. Well, Jesus continues his sermon. It says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Here, Jesus gives us another choice. Look at this world only, or look at this world in the context of eternal things, the context of greater spiritual realities. He says the eye is the window to the soul. What you set your gaze on is what your affections get set on. What your attention gets placed on is where your affections follow. If we only look at the things of this world, we'll be threatened by the things of this world as well. We'll be threatened by the darkness. We'll be threatened by decay. We'll be threatened by disaster. And those threats cause fear. And those fears cause us to hoard and to keep things for ourselves. It causes us to hoard instead of to help. It causes us to be selfish instead of to share and serve others. It causes us to worry about what might be. We fill our lives with all the stuff just in case. I remember... Several years back, a couple of decades ago, any of you lived through the Y2K crisis? If your hair is like mine, <laughs> you did. And you remember all the people getting ready for the end of the world and they were prepping, right? We still have those people today. We got a lot of preppers in the world prepping for just in case. And it's not bad to be prepared for the future. But if we're doing that at the expense of helping others today, we have misplaced priorities. If we see this world in light of the eternal story, remembering that this is not all there is, remembering that God creates and God sustains, that God is a good God who provides and he cares for us, that God takes care of us, then we are less prone to the worries of this world, to the disasters and the dilemmas. We are more likely to mimic the generosity of our God, to help others, to serve others, to do what we can. This leads us to what Jesus says next. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved 
to money. He gives us another choice here. You gotta choose who your master will be. Now, some of us feel like we might be pulled in different directions. Some of you might feel pulled towards your spouse and towards your kids and towards your work and towards the worries of this world, towards the hobbies, towards different things, even for yourself. And you're pulled in all these different directions. But ultimately, there will only be one primary master. Men, if you're wise, you'll lean into your rough. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But you will only have one master in this world. And you get to choose who that master will be. Jesus said, let's be clear on this, money is not bad. He's not saying we shouldn't care about money, that we shouldn't use money. But he is saying that money is a really bad master. He says we should use money, not allow money to enslave us. So friend, let me ask, who is your master? What is your master? I don't mean who you say your master is. But what is the force that actually drives where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where you invest your thoughts and your energies, your worries? What masters your life? One way to find the answer is to assess where you invest. And I don't mean grand investments, 401ks and you know, certificates of deposit and mutual funds. I'm, I mean, just the daily, where are we investing our energy, our time, our talent, our treasure, our worry? Where you invest reveals what matters to you. Follow the money, you'll find your master. Examine your calendar and you'll discover what really does control you, controls your time. Jesus even addresses worry. Worry defines a lot of what masters us, doesn't it? Jesus goes on, he says this. That's why I tell you not to worry. Don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Aren't you more valuable than the cute sparrows and robins? Definitely more valuable than that ugly vulture eating the dead animal on the side of the road, right? Can all your worries add a single moment to the longevity of your life? No, not at all. And he goes on, says, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing. Yet Solomon, Solomon from the Old Testament, one of the wisest and richest men to have ever lived. It says Solomon in all his glory was not dressed even on his best day as beautifully as they are. If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? That's an ouch statement there at the end, isn't it? He challenges us that worry is the opposite of faith. He says it's impossible to give your heart fully to God if something else is stealing the affection and attention of your heart. If your heart is not fully God's, if you've only parceled out part of it, if you only reserve one part of your heart for God, then you can't 
love him with all your heart as we're commanded to do. Now, Jesus uses the example of flowers. Jesus was the master of this. He took things that were right there in front of him. He's in this point, he's preaching on a hillside at a time of year when flowers would have been blooming all around. Jesus always pointed to the things around him, to the bread, to the water, to the breeze, to the birds, to the flowers. And he used those as metaphors for our interaction with God. He used those as reminders of how we are to be with God. And he points to flowers like these. I hope my neighbors don't mind that I stole them. Just kidding. This came from our garden. But he says those flowers, so beautiful, even on his best day, the best dressed man to have ever lived won't look as beautiful as these. The best dressed fashion diva from Hollywood, from the runways in Paris, can't compare. I'm gonna think how beautifully these flowers are. Yet they're here, but a moment. Scripture tells us the same about us. Our life is fleeting. It only lasts just a moment. It's like a mist, like a vapor. It's over before we know it. It's over too soon. It says, allow your life to look like the flowers of the field. How beautiful they are, even for just a moment. So for us, may we live in such a way that our lives are beautiful for the moment we're here, but beautiful for the glory of God. May that be what happens. When we see the flowers, as you drive through the city, as you drive home, as you drive through the country, as you see the flowers in the yards and on the trees and wherever you go, may it remind you that we can't even compete with that and God's got it. He's got it. God adorned those. God cared for those. And if he cares for the flowers that are here and gone, how much more so will he care for you? And you are beautiful in his sight. So let's live into that beauty. Jesus goes on. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, well, what will we eat? What will we drink? What are we going to wear? No, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father, he already knows all your needs. Read this next verse with me. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Let's read that one more time. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you Everything you need. You know, it's interesting. When researchers asked thousands of people about their needs, the results came back that most people believe that if they had twice as much of what they have, their needs would be met. We often confuse need for want, but the research indicates that For most people, we think what we need is twice as much as what we have. And the astonishing thing about that is that it doesn't matter how much we already have. So whether these were people at the poverty line or millionaires, the thought is, if I just had twice as much, if I just had twice as much, then we wouldn't have to worry about the things that currently consume our time. What's even more interesting, I think, is that The study indicates that the more we have, the stingier we become with it. That the more we have, the smaller proportion, the smaller percentage we give. That those who have the least tend to give 
a higher percentage of what they have. So proportionately, those with the least give the most. And why? Well, because the more we have, the more we worry about the things we have. The more we got to cling to it, protect it, and guard it. We got to make sure that it's going to stay and it'll make even more for us. It seems just the opposite of the way it should be that those with the most should be giving the greatest percentage. But that's not what the studies find. If only we had twice as much is the idea. It seems to go against what Jesus is saying. Jesus goes on. He says, listen, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble, it's more than enough for today. Amen. How many of you concerned like me and let my air conditioner just keep working in this heat, right? Now this phrase, don't worry, it shows up like six times in this passage. The language that Jesus spoke in is actually a little more forceful than that. His language might better be translated, stop worrying. Stop it. Just be a tosser. Toss those worries aside. Put them in the trash. Don't pick them up again. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Like that's the language Jesus gives us. Stop worrying. Anybody a worrier in here? Nobody's going to raise their hand and say, I worry all the time. Some of you do. All right. Thanks for your honesty. How many of you married or know a worrier? My mom was like the queen of worriers, right? A few years ago, I stopped by my mama's house. I walk in. Before we even started talking, I could see on her face something was wrong. I'm like, Mama, what's wrong? What's, what's up? She's like, well, that's just it. I forgot. What, what do you mean? She's like, I was worried about something and I forgot what I'm supposed to be worried about. Wait, so you're worried that you don't know what to worry about. Is that like, I, I don't know what to do with that. I was like, mom, I think that's a good place. You forgot. It must not be that big of a deal. I think you're going to be okay. Like we worry if we don't have time to worry about something else. And listen, worry, worry is one of those thieves that Jesus talks about there. The thieves that break in to steal what we have. Worry, the only thing worry adds is more trouble. The only thing worry adds is more problems. Worry does not add anything of benefit or value to your life. Worry is a thief. It steals your joy. It steals your peace. And for what? For the troubles of tomorrow that may or may not come to fruition. It steals our attention from the things that actually matter today. And it never fixes the problem. It only adds to it. Now Jesus says, you know, well, what are we going to eat and wear and drink and we can all lose perspective on those things, right? How many of you have ever walked into the kitchen, you open up the fridge, you stare at the fridge for a while, you look at all the shelves, there's stuff in there, like there's nothing to eat. You go to the cupboard, you open that up, ah, there's nothing to eat. And then like 30 seconds later, you go back to the fridge as though in that brief time, God has produced this miraculous bounty of food. And you're like, maybe now. No. Still the same fridge, still the same food. And you're like, I got nothing. Ever walk to your closet, you open up your closet and you're like, I got nothing to wear. Anyone? Like that, it's just a matter of a lack of perspective. Now, I want to be real clear. For some, that's a legitimate concern. Food shortage and food difficulties are a very real concern for some. That's why we have the pantry here at OCC. And if you're one of those people, there's no shame in reaching out to the church and letting us know you need some help. But church, for most of us, that's really not an issue. It's that what we want is different than what we already have. It's a lack of contentment. 
Jesus is here talking about materialism in a culture to a culture where having more than just a couple articles of clothing meant you were wealthy. If you had like a third set of clothes, it was a big deal. If you had clothes that had coloration, a variety of colors in them at all, more than just the white and the beige of the natural clothing, then, then that was a big deal. And so you would store those things away. You'd protect those things. But often in a place where moths and mice could get to them, you had to check on them regularly. So he's talking to a place where they didn't have DoorDash and fast food and a grocery store down the street where they didn't have refrigerators and freezers and stock up your food and a place where they didn't have the myriad of clothing stores where there was no Amazon. And he says, don't worry about it. I wonder what Jesus might say to us today. What are the things that we worry about what are the things that steal our attention, that steal our affection? I'm going to address a particular type of worry that can hit all of us. All of us at some point can be susceptible to the challenges of this world. And when things get tight economically, what are the first things when we got to cut back? What are the first things we cut out? Is it giving charitably to those organizations, to those good causes? Is it Giving to the church? Is it tithing? If so, what does that say about our trust, our faith? What does it say about our hearts? See, we worry that if we're generous, then maybe there won't be enough for us at some point. Well, if I give too much away, then I'm going to end up naked and poor and homeless. And then what am I going to do? And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. God's got you. And part of the way he's got you is because you're part of his church, the body. Like, we take care of one another. He's got this. See, worry causes us to hoard instead of to help. To be selfish instead of to share and to serve. And because of that, the world is worse off. If I'm worried that I can't provide for the possible problems of tomorrow, then I'm less likely to provide for your very real needs today. And Jesus says, that's just not going to cut it in his kingdom. His kingdom is defined by generosity, by love. Jesus says, wait, I got you. See, in this last passage, Jesus offers us two more choices. He offers us the choice either between worry or worship, between building his kingdom or our own kingdoms. And he says the thing that will free us from becoming slaves to earthly masters like money, the things that will free us from worry is worship. Is worship. To refocus your gaze, to get your eyes off all the problems of this world and look to heaven, to look to Jesus. As the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. And grace. See, we reprioritize our spending, and that reprioritizes our heart's affections. It gets us building his kingdom and not our own kingdoms. And God's primary tool for doing this, for helping us reprioritize our gaze and, and our affections, is the church. See, the church is God's primary tool for bringing hope and healing to the hopeless and hurting in this world. And the way the church does that 
in many ways, is God's primary instrument is through the tithe. He says, just like he converts souls from damned to saved, from lost to found, from death to life, he converts money into ministry. And God says, when we help fund the local church, we learn to put God first. That's what the tithe is. Tithe is 10%. It's an Old Testament term, means 10%. But we see it throughout the New Testament as well. We see this concept. In fact, it's even amplified in the New Testament. The longer the tithe, it's amplified into generosity beyond that, where we are to give generously and live generously. Because what that does is it puts God in first place. To say, the first things that I get, God, I'm going to acknowledge that you are first priority. So I give it to you. I set it aside for kingdom building in your kingdom, and that keeps me from first wanting to build my kingdom. If I give it to you first, then I make sure that you don't get last place and only get a little sliver instead of get what you deserve, Lord. It's all yours anyway, really, is how Jesus says it in the New Testament picture said. And so the giving picture in Scripture is that we don't just give to the church. You don't just give to OCC. You give through OCC. See, here at this church, we're committed to leveraging and stewarding everything we have for the glory of God. That's why your pastors don't have exorbitant salaries and drive fancy sports cars and fly different places on our own private jets and that kind of stuff. And I'm not digging on other churches or people. I'm just saying we try to be reasonable and fund ministry as best and as most as we can. So that... We can help everyone we can find Jesus and learn to follow him faithfully forever. And so God's picture for that is the tithe through the local church. You know what the world calls it when we begin our giving, instead of giving to ourselves and giving to our savings and giving to the, when we begin giving by being generous with the kingdom, the world calls that crazy. You know what the Bible calls it? Worship. Worship. And when we begin with worship, we erode the power of worry in our lives. Because we put God in his primary place as first and foremost, and we trust him. And God always makes good on his promises. So friend, here's my challenge for all of us. Instead of focusing on what might happen in our kingdoms tomorrow, in our little kingdoms, let's instead ask what needs to happen to advance God's kingdom today. Instead of worrying what might happen tomorrow, let's prayerfully go to God and say, God, what can tomorrow look like if I'm generous today? What difference might my generosity make for that one I've been praying about all year? What difference might my generosity make for the one who's beside me or the one who's not yet here with me or the ones coming behind me in the next generation? Isn't it great to see students in service with us today? What difference might it make to build up the kingdom and invest in those coming behind us. If we will trust God and allow him to use what we have to help others, to use what he's given us now to invest in eternal things, I think we'll see something beautiful happen through that. In this passage, Jesus gives us these different choices. But these choices, uh, let's go to the B slide, I think. Next one. Next one. There we go. He begins with... Saying we can focus on storing our treasure here or in eternity. That's a kingdom decision. He ends with saying you focus on the worries of this kingdom or the next. Seek his kingdom above all else. He gives us perspective. What are our 
our eyes looking at? Are we worrying or are we worshiping? But in the middle is the choice all of us must make, and it's the primary choice that will dictate our lives. Who is our master? Friend, who is the king of your kingdom? You may say it's Jesus, but what does your life demonstrate? Who is the king of your kingdom? I think we have a slide for that. Because either our lives will demonstrate that Jesus is king, or it'll just be empty lip service. But there will come a time when Jesus will ask us all what we did with everything he gave us to help everyone else follow him forever. He'll ask us what we've done with our time and our talents, our treasures, our abilities. He'll say, you said I was king, but your life, did it show it? So let's, to answer that question, who is the king of your kingdom, let's assess where we invest. Let's all do an investment assessment this week. Let's assess where we spend our time. And I don't mean just think, oh yeah, I spend a lot of time doing the things of God. No, like how much time do you spend praying? How much time do you spend reading God's word? How much time do you spend in group with other believers? How much time do you spend being concerned about God's kingdom and sharing your faith, sharing the hope that you have in Jesus with those who don't yet have hope? Let's assess where we spend our time. Let's assess where we spend our money. Let's look at our receipts. Let's look at our bank statements. Let's look at how much we actually give. And what we're giving to. Where we're spending and what we're spending on. Let's look at what we daydream about. When you spend your time getting to that happy place, where is it? What is it? And is Jesus there with you? Let's assess where we worry. It's one thing to have worries of this world. It's another thing to be concerned for those who are lost. Like Bob mentioned last week. Do we grieve over those who don't yet know Jesus? Wouldn't that be a great investment of our time to grieve over the lost and allow that to motivate what we do with everything else? So why does it all matter? I mean, ultimately, like, who cares, right? When we come back to this question we began with, why does Jesus care about our money? Why does all of this matter? Well, here's why. Because how I handle my money reveal who has my heart. What I do with my money demonstrates where my heart is. And Jesus doesn't want us to build an earthly kingdom and miss out on his eternal kingdom. Jesus doesn't want us to chase after all the wrong things, to surrender to a bad taskmaster and miss out on how much he loves us. Friend, I don't know your situation. I don't know your finances. I don't know what troubles of today might be stealing your joy. Your troubles of tomorrow might be stealing your joy today. I, I don't know what troubles today have. I don't know what tempts you to worry. I don't know what steals your attention, what distracts you from worship. I do know this, and I do know this is true for all of us, that if we will all seek the kingdom of God above all else, then we will all inherit the kingdom of God. If you seek God's kingdom above everything else, then that will be your inheritance. Then you will walk the streets of glory that are paved with the riches of this world. I mean, how glorious must that be? 
for the things that we treasure so much to be this stuff that'll be trampled under our feet there. So let us seek the kingdom of God above all else. God, we thank you that you are a good and kind and generous God. We thank you that you are benevolent. And you don't just care for us, but you provide for us. You didn't just create us, but you sustain us. And God, you give so extravagantly, so wonderfully. God, you demonstrate your generosity at a cross with your own blood, with your own body, with your own sacrifice, but you demonstrate your power over all the bad things of this world with a resurrection from the grave. And that's what you offer us, to be freed from all the things that would lead us and on so many other places. God, you give to free us from all those bad masters. And we confess that our eyes are too often focused on the worrisome things of this world, that we're too often distracted by lesser things. And so God, we ask that you would capture our hearts, that you would make us generous givers for you, that we would put you first and foremost in the place you deserve in our lives and in our hearts, that we would seek you and seek your kingdom above everything else. God, that we would desire most to inherit your kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world. And God, for any who are far from you, who don't yet know you as the beautiful king of their life, we pray that today would be a turning point, that they would surrender their life to you, that they would come to know you and to follow you faithfully forever. And in that, they would find all the freedom and the joy and the peace. God, we thank you that though we don't deserve it, nevertheless, you offer it. And so we praise you for it. God, may our lives be as beautiful as the flowers as we live it for your glory. May our song that we sing here in a moment as we stand and as we sing, may it be more beautiful than the most melodious songbird. God, may you delight in our worship. And we pray this in Jesus. Amen.